Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow. My name is Rob Snow White, and this is my Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is episode 263, Francis Goes to the Amazon. Francis, also known legally as Scott Key, stopped in to chat towards the end of the 2020 Fly Fishing and Wine Festival in Doswell, Virginia. We normally talk about fly fishing for bowfin, but this time, Francis had something on his mind. He was planning a trip to the Amazon. We're going to learn all about fly fishing for peacock bass in the Amazon on today's episode. Francis just happened to be in the neighborhood, so we recorded live in person. And my, how different things were before COVID took over America. It seems like this was recorded months and months ago, but it was only about two and a half weeks ago. So we're going to learn all about what it's like to hear a nuclear toilet flush when a fish eats the fly in the Amazon. I'm going to refer you also to a book called Tropical Nature if you want to further your readings and understandings of the Amazon rainforest. The book is by Adrian Forsyth and Ken Mayata. Ken drowned several years ago while fly fishing on the Madison River. There's not a particular sponsor for this episode, but while we were recording, we were drinking delicious Sweetwater Brew, 
eating a smoked Traeger steak, and I was wearing Flying That Flats shirt. And of course, it had my new super comfy buff beanie on my head. So let's stop listening to me talk. Let's go to the kitchen and listen to Francis goes to the Amazon. All right, we've got Francis with us. We're recording in the kitchen here, so hopefully audio is not bad. You want to introduce yourself, and we'll talk about fishing for the next hour or so. Cool. Yeah, my name is Scott Key, otherwise known as Francis in some circles. Uh, I do get that more in Northern Virginia around the nation's <laughs> capital, which I think is kind of funny. But I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and recently moved down to Charlotte from Richmond. Need a little change of scenery. So it's been, it's, it's been fun. So tell me about growing up down in sort of the central part of Virginia, because I'm from up here. Don't get down to your part that often. Well, have no fear. Nobody from Richmond wants to come up to Northern Virginia either. Because right. nobody wants to sit in traffic in Stafford. No. Was it, was it bad today? I was honestly fine. I kind of managed to time it right where I wasn't traveling at, at peak traffic. Honestly, the worst traffic I had was getting to your house. It took an extra couple minutes, but I did look at everybody sitting on 66. Yeah, it's but, awful. Yeah. But yeah, Richmond was, was great growing up. A lot of what I did growing up, you know, outdoors wise was just really just being outside. Um, my family, my kind of extended family has a place on the Mattapanai River. And so I grew up skiing, fishing, boating, uh, you name it. And then um, I spent a lot of time also fishing in my neighborhood. We had a creek and then, uh, I mean, catching bluegill there growing up. My friends and I would, you know, make rock bridges and we'd make our own brush piles um, starting at a very young age. And then we moved up to the lake that it came out of bass fishing. And then um, I had a pond uh, that I could go to with my granddad. Uh, my mom's grandfather who I my mom's father and that was out near kind of near Charlottesville I spent a lot of time out there fishing for bass bluegill crappie and just spent a lot of hours out there which was a lot of fun I really didn't discover fly fishing until I moved back to Richmond after college after uh, after college at the University of South Carolina you and my neighbor could go hang out and talk Gamecock stuff let's go Cox it's Amanda. She's got a big game cock thing in the front yard. <laughs> it's it's funny. You say go cocks anywhere else aside from Columbia. People look at you funny, but it gets normal after four years and then it gets weird again. Well, for us, just being anywhere in the world and seeing some Ohio State stuff and having to shout OH, <laughs> people will just look from all over and the person always responds. Yeah. And they, they just keep going. It'll be in New York City. You just yell OH and they'll walk past and just say it and <laughs> not even interrupt their day. Yeah. Yeah. After I moved down to Charlotte, after like the first couple of days, I, I was like, man, there's somebody with a Gamecock sticker. Like, wait a minute. I'm like an hour and a half from Columbia now. That's not special anymore. <laughs> so what'd you study down there? Insurance and risk management. All right. And I'm using my degree. Um, yeah, for context, I'm 26, years out of college, just getting ramped up in my insurance career. So what should people not be doing? In regard to insurance, selling, uh, having a liquor license in South Carolina or doing contracting in New York because your costs will be exceptionally, exceptionally high. Okay. I'm going to make a personal note of that. <laughs> Dirty Bill, if you're hearing this, don't do contracting work. Well, just in New York City. Oh, okay. You're good. You're out in 
Western New York. Yeah, you, you'll be all right up Central there. New York, I should say. All right, so you eventually got into fly fishing. Yeah, after... What was that like moving on, and do you still do conventional? Uh, every once in a while. It just depends on the context or if, you know, like last year I was down in the Keys. I was fishing for tarpon, and it was muddy water. It wasn't sight fishing. We're just pretty much just covering water because they're we knew they are in the area. They are jumping out of the water. And after a little bit of tossing a 12 weight around, I was like, man, ah, we just need to cover water. So I just started chunking a plug, you know, no questions asked. And we eventually caught fish. Nice. But I mean, 95% of the time I'm fly fishing now. After college, after moving back to Richmond, I was like, well, you know, I'm probably going to be fishing a lot of the same places and I don't want to do it the same way. So I just picked up a fly rod. I started listening to a lot of your podcasts. Fantastic. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I actually got an email today from a listener going to Montreal that wanted the episode and blog so they could go to the same places we ate. Cool. Pretty, pretty excited. That made my day. And you've listened to the episodes. Mm-hmm. Now you have your own. Here we are. Yes. Okay. So you start fishing around college. There's one species of fish you get to fish for down there that we don't have up here, which is the bowfin. Oh, you, you have that up here. Never seen one. Really? Not, unless it's been pickled in lab. I've never seen a live <laughs> bowfin. Well, they're they're around. Um, there are certain you know, river systems that are more plentiful than others. And the Mattapanai River is definitely number one on that list, probably in, in the area. And I know, um, oh, what's that lake? Lake Chickahominy. They have a whole bunch of them, too. In the lake? Mm-hmm. I know they're up in Lake Champlain, which I find weird, but they're not here. But they're in Richmond. But they're they're all over the place. I mean, they're they're one of Virginia's native fish. Um, I'm kind of a sucker for for native fish. I'm actually going out to California for golden trout with uh, my buddy Frodo. We're doing a backpacking trip that we now have to get in shape for. Oh. Um, but so, I mean, bowfin have been around for 100 million years unchanged, and uh, it's kind of like redneck flats fishing on on the Mattapanai when the water gets down. When when it's up, water's in the lily pads. You're casting at nothing. Most of the time, too much water to cover, but when it gets low, at low tide, then you got tons of flats. And if, if you get it in front of them and they don't and they don't spook out, and they'll come right up to it and suck a fly up. And it's just just like fishing for redfish on a flat down, yeah. in, down in Charleston. They're pretty big, right? They can be. Um, biggest one I've caught was probably, I don't know, six, seven pounds. But I was down in Miami fishing the Tamiami Trail with my brother this past weekend. And he, he's not really a, a fisherman, but, you know, he pretty much kind of knows what he's doing. And he knows what bowfin look like. And we were fishing this spot. And he was like, dude, look right there. I'm like, dude, no, that's another mullet. <laughs> no, look at it. And it was at least a 15-pound bowfin. Whoa. It, it had shoulders. It was probably pushing 40 inches. It was easily the biggest bowfin I've ever seen. So in your fishing career, how long did it take for you to progress from just getting started off to actually – Targeting niche species, like wanting to go and travel for certain things. And travel, travel is pretty recent. You know, I've been very lucky to travel. Uh, well, I'll say travel on, on my own volition. I've been, you know, traveling, you know, fishing different places, just on family vacations or with, with my grandfather. I've been fortunate enough to go down to Louisiana and, and the Florida Keys with him. Uh, but as far as, you know, niche species and especially native species, that's been very, pretty recent in the last couple of years since I started fly fishing because 
I don't know, they're, especially with brook trout and, you know, people always talk about how browns aren't native, they're wild. And just kind of having that brought to the forefront of my mind just really put a, more of a focus on what native fish are. And I've just kind of really been kind of entranced by that. I, I just think that it's really cool. And I really want to get out and target native species and their native ranges a lot more in, in the next few years and going on for sure. Right on. What are some of the species you're going after? Yo, a checklist of things to go across? I do have a master. Well, actually, I need to update it because um, I've added a few recently. I do have a master Excel spreadsheet of fish that I've caught in general and on the fly too, and split by fresh and salt water too. Okay. But golden trout are for sure happening uh, this year. And I really want to get up to Maine and fish for brook trout up there because, you know, I've caught some pretty decent brook trout in Virginia, but. That northern string get big. That's a whole different ball game up there. Yeah, those are meat eaters. Yeah. They're not sipping little atoms. Nope. So what setup do you have and do you take it with you when you travel for work? Let's say today was a little bit warmer, a little later in the season. Mm -hmm. Would you have pulled over somewhere and fished? Oh, I would have built my entire work trip around around fishing. You know, I can I can justify scheduling some early morning visits on a Monday and fly in on on Sunday, and you know, it's the same same cost of flight and rental car. So I'll fly in in the morning, and I'll, I'll make a point to go fish wherever I am, and then have, have work visits the next couple of days. Um, if I've been, and you know, it's kind of nice being able to do what I do. You know, when I travel, I go and visit my uh, insurance retail agents that I work with, and I'll I'll kind of schedule things seasonally. It's it, nice. it's it's no convince, uh, coincidence on that for sure. But yeah, it's. I definitely try to capitalize on the time that I have for sure. Oh, I, I forgot to mention the other native species that I, I really want to get is uh, cutthroat in their in their native range. Actually, my my roommate's brother is going out on a trip out west this year, and he's dubbed the trip the uh, Cutty Conquest. So I'm gonna uh, go off of his information for. A future trip at some point i imagine they're pretty fish sometimes they're quite gullible which can be an extra reward i love dumb fish yeah i some people really enjoy you know fish in spring creeks or wherever tailwaters that are heavily pressured fooling the big trout with that are really smart i've seen everything with a big with a really small fly and i just never been my cup of tea never really appealed to me i'd, I'd rather go the extra mile driving or hiking and find the fish that nobody else is willing to go to that are big and stupid. Right. That's always been kind of, kind of my thing. Benefit of the shad. They don't know what we are. Yeah. When I was getting my shad talk the other day, I explained to people, I said, you know, cast over there by that swirl in the water. And they don't know what I'm saying. So I pick up a rock and I throw it. The rock lands. They're like, Oh, that spot. And then I'll roll cast and pop, pop. And I'm on a fish. There you go. They're not scared of me. What about some exotics besides what you were catching in Florida? You showed some crazy fish pictures during the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. Exotics like down in, in South Florida? Yeah. Or just, yeah. What, what should I be expecting? Oh, if, if, you, if you go down to South Florida? We're going to be in Miami by Doral or Doral. Yeah, Doral. In Miami and the canal system, there is just about everything from uh, cichlids, 
And then you get snook and tarpon that can kind of survive in fresh water that move up in there just depending on how they're moving water throughout the lock system. But the main thing down there in the canals is um, butterfly peacock bass. And they were stocked in the 80s to combat the um, overpopulation of cichlids of many varieties that people release from fish tanks. So they end up ironically bringing in another invasive species that is a voracious minnow eater. That's all they eat is minnows. Not cichlids? Oh, no, no. Like they just like a fish eater. Okay. So, you know, people go down there thinking, oh, I'm going to fish in like largemouth bass and throw worms and stuff. But all they eat is other fish. So you, you got tilapia, which you have up here in Fort Myer Run. Yep. You got Oscars. Uh, the Mayan cichlid is one that you see everywhere. It's like it's like an overgrown bluegill with big stripes on it. Those are really fun. What else? Jeez. I mean, you could really run into anything. You can catch big red-tailed catfish in there. I the Amazonian ones. Yeah, they're in the canals. Is that sight fishing or you just the peacock and cichlid fishing is often sight fishing. Uh, yeah, of course it's not for catfish because they're always on the bottom. Um, I saw about a one that was about thirty pounds that was dead and floating in a canal a couple of years ago when I was down there. But heading west on the Tamiami Trail, which is Route Forty One, extension of Calle Ocho or Little Havana, you just keep going out and. You can catch, you know, just about anything. I caught six species in a 50-yard stretch in an hour. And you got, you know, 18 wheelers ripping by you that you got to watch your back cast on. You're just pulling off wherever? Yeah, so in the first part, it's kind of open, and there's a side road on the other side around all all the airboat tours. It's very open, and then it kind of narrows down, and you got trees next to you. And there's some bridges, you know, for the canal cuts to let water through, and, and just got a little extra... Uh, shoulder space and you just pull off there and then you just kind of walk walk along and there they are any good roadkill out there i'm sure they whack gators every once in a while and were you scared of anything eating you you know it's the gators you don't see that you're afraid that you should that you should be afraid of right but i see crocodile dundee which he's thought up for canteen yeah when uh i was in the spot I was, you know, focused on the fish in front of me. They had lockjaw this past weekend because it got down to the depths of winter where it got down to 50 degrees for three nights in a row. Tragedy. There were people in puffy parka coats with rabbit hood, you know, fur on. The fish had lockjaw, but I was still, you know, dialed in trying to focus on And my brother was like, Scott, look over there. Scott, look over there. I'm like, what? There's about a nine foot gator (laughs) just looking at me. I'm like, no, was it chilled out too from the air temps? He was, you know, not really moving too much, just kind of sitting around. And there, all the gators I saw weren't moving much. But, you know, it's still, you really got to keep your eye out because you never know what's going to be around. Yeah, when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to stand near the water's edge. I had to pull the fish 20 feet back. That's a very good decision. And then my grandma would always find spinning rods. The alligators would come out of the water and go after the fish people were dragging up. Mm-hmm. And they would just drop their rods and run. Yep. She'd fly up on a, a flight with just random rods bundled together. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's awesome. All right. So speaking of peacocks and other fish, you've actually gone to their home waters. Yeah. So we're going to learn about your Francis goes to the Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you decide you were going to the Amazon? How did this whole thing plan out? So my 
My second cousin, my mom's cousin, um, Pat, he went down there um, October of 18. And this past summer, he reached out and said, hey, I really want to do this trip. I really want to you know, have somebody to go with. You want to go? I kind of was like, well, kind of had a little, little free time, a little funds freed up. I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. Absolutely. So I just went for it. It was, it was, it was an, an amazing trip. It really was. It was well, well worth it. What section of the Amazon did you go to? We are on the Rio Negro. Um, so you fly into, you, you connect through Miami, and then you fly to uh, Manaus, which is a pretty large city. I think it's about 3 million people in the state of Amazonas, which is up in north central Brazil. Did you see the old opera house? We didn't make it around to go around. It would have, it was kind of like a big guided tour that was overly expensive. We kind of passed on that. But next time, I'm definitely doing more touristy stuff. Mm -hmm. Go see the the outdated stadium from the World Cup. Did they have one in, yeah, up there? The night games, the bugs that were landing on people were yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I believe that there's plenty of bugs up there. Yeah. But yeah, we so flying in is everything's just green all around. Well, you fly in at night because there's one flight that goes from Miami to Manaus and it gets in at like midnight. Oh, it sucks. So your first glimpse of the rainforest is flying from Manaus to um, Barcelos. Do we need to keep track of the flights? Yeah, so there's three flights total to get to where you need to go. You got wherever you are to Miami. And Miami to Manaus, and then you spend the night in a hotel. Well, I say night, you get about an hour and a half worth of sleep because then the next morning you got to get up, and then you get a, you take a shuttle back to the airport, and then you get on a little charter plane um, that goes. Ours is like a sixteen seater, and that that flies to Barcelos, which is a town of about twenty five thirty thousand people, which is the jumping off point for the Rio Negro. So the Rio Negro is the largest tributary. To the, Amazon. the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to Midway USA. Dot com. And that's kind of where you launch from. And, you know, as I mentioned, I really like kind of getting back into where nobody else would want to go. And Barcelos is really a hub. There's, I mean, dozens of different mothership um, operations that are based out of there. The amount of industry that comes from Peacock Bass for that town is pretty amazing. Really? Yeah. I mean, you, you look out, there's two dozen big mothership boats that are just for pe people to live on and go peacock fishing. It, it's pretty impressive. Are these mostly U.S. anglers or from all over the world? Uh, I'd say mostly U.S., but they're all over the world. They, they really are. I mean, I saw, I mean, there's Russian groups. There's, there's on, on the boat we were on, there is a group of Mexico that was coming the, the next week. Uh, you really get them from, from everywhere. So, so then you, you get to your, your boat and you hop on and you start driving up the river. And in total, we probably went about 80 river miles up um, at most. Uh, and, you know, I was a little kind of, you know, 
like, no, really, we're going to be fishing like the most pressured area. But the amount of water that is up there is really hard to describe. The Rio Negro at its widest is, is I think, 13 miles wide. Whoa. Yeah, it's something else. It's hard to put into words just how immense the whole river system is. And that's only a small part of the of the Amazon River itself by the time it gets to the ocean. And, you know, even though there's you know plenty of operations, there's still plenty of water. Like we saw other operations boats every day, like a, a bass boat, because, you know, they they tow pretty much like bass trackers. And then at, at the beginning of every day, everyone just kind of fans out. But we never felt like we were boxed out of spots or anything. There's so much water and there's so many fish there. You never feel like like you're crowded there. There's no fish that sees a fly twice. Oh, there's definitely fish that see flies twice and lures twice. But, you know, most people are throwing conventional tackle. And if you are proficient with a fly rod, you will outfish conventional nine out of ten times. Just because you're you're primarily using subsurface streamer presentations and, you know, fish do 90% of their feeding um, under the water. And, and you do catch more smaller peacocks. What's um, a small peacock down there? About two to four pounds. Not bad. Not bad, but and the fight on that is it pretty nuts? Uh, not not with a nine or ten weight, but oh yeah. So it's back to seeing the Amazon. So you see the Amazon when you're flying into Barcelos on the, on the little plane, um, and you look out and it's just trees forever. You know, like if if this plane goes down, nobody's gonna find us. It's just trees, and you really see that they are the Amazon is is the lungs of the earth. I'm sure I was breathing the purest air I've ever breathed in my entire life for, for the entire week. And you need all the energy you can get. So I'm glad there's plenty of oxygen for it. <laughs> so what was the boat like? Did they feed you well? Oh yeah. I mean, it's five, five star. I mean, it was awesome. Um, whole breakfast spread every morning, whole dinner spread every night. And then we had a, a packed lunch with like, it's usually like roasted chicken and rice and a vegetable. Man, that was some good chicken. I love, I love that stuff. We had this potato one day. It was green. It was like kind of sweet. I don't really know how to describe it. It was, it was really good. How much food, other like, was it just stuff you just never seen? Um, Fruit-wise, too? The fruit, yeah. Some fruit I'd never seen. I mean, it was pretty much like standard you know, stuff I had seen, but they had this stuff called farofa, which it looks like breadcrumbs. But it's cassava flour that's cooked, and then there's little, like, extra crispy, like, bacon bits in it, but you don't really taste the bacon. And it looks and kind of has a te- texture of breadcrumbs, and they put it on everything. Really? It's everywhere. It's going to have lots of energy. I mean, just cassava, it's pretty starchy. Yeah. Yeah. So they make uh, tapioca out of. Mm-hmm. It's also poisonous if you eat it raw. Yeah, if it's, that's what they're saying, if, if you cook it green. Yeah, you make chicha out of it. Yeah, that is not good. It's pretty useful. I like some fried cassava chips. Mm-hmm. I'd I, I never even heard of this stuff before, but I mean, I saw it in the hotel. I'm like, oh, breadcrumbs. That's cool. And then I got to the boat. I'm like, nah, it's not breadcrumbs. Not breadcrumbs. Oh, okay. And that chicken, because we're used to eating mass-produced chicken here. I'm sure that chicken was probably just from a yard and just ate wild. And- yeah, there's pretty reasonable chances from a yard. But it, 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 was, some, it was some dank chicken. <laughs> How dark was it at night down there? Um, honestly, I didn't spend too much time like looking out because 
it's literally eat, sleep, fish. Um, and when you're on the boat, there's it's always pretty lit up. I'm sure if they turn all the lights off, it'd be black as night. Right. I mean, there's nothing there. Um, so I didn't get to experience that. But I think if you go on like kind of a, a like a camping trip out there, places that are more like waitable. I know there's some rivers in, in Colombia, like the Orinoco and some others that you can wade and kind of live like that. I think you could really experience it. But I I didn't personally, but I I imagine I'll have the opportunity to do so at some point, I hope. Craziest animal you saw? <sighs> animal. Stuff climbing in the trees. Oh, howler monkeys. I didn't see them. Did you hear them? Yeah. We, we only heard them from a ways off. And when you first hear from a ways off, you know, like the deep roar of the wind that you hear. And it, it's just like very vague and just kind of out there. But you're like, oh, that sounds kind of creepy. And we're fishing this spot. And I'm like, oh, man, the wind is really ripping somewhere. And I look around. The wind is dead still. I'm like, oh, what? And, and the guy's like, monkeys. I'm like, Oh, those are howler monkeys. And there, there's a video on YouTube. It's like howler monkeys, like from a distance or something like that. Look that up. And that's what, that's what they sound, sound like. like. There's also supposed to be a Sasquatch down there. No, there's Sasquatches everywhere. Yeah. I listened to the Meat Eater podcast on, on Sasquatch, which is fascinating. And they're debating whether it's real and if they reproduce and whether or not, if you're out hunting and saw one, would you shoot it? Everyone's got cameras now. Because you have to have a specimen. It's like right. the butterfly with the pins in the shadow box. You oh, no. To... We saw the, the fairy tale movie about the fairies in London or England in 1912. The girls made fake. It's on Amazon. And it involves Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Harry Houdini. Huh. And they're like, we've got to kill the fairies. And the dad's <laughs> trying to kill it. And the girl's like, no, no. Yeah. Classic. Is that the same movie? Maybe I'm thinking of Tinkerbell. <laughs> you might. There's a lot of fairy things in my house. With yeah, that one. I don't have any nine-year-olds running around, so I'm a bit out of the loop on a. Maybe in a Tinkerbell movie, and then we watch the other one, and they're very similar. <laughs> okay, fairies. Uh, what about other fish? Did you see swimming around? Any otters or porpoises? So there's dolphins everywhere. Pink ones. We didn't see any pink ones. Most of them are actually kind of gray, but they're everywhere and they've learned to follow the fishing boats. So if you let a bass go and you're not really looking for dolphins, there's a decent chance you see, you let it go and then all of a sudden there's this huge push of water and you know the dolphin whacked him. And it's amazing watching a peacock go from, you know, apex predator just crushing a fly to just frantically just hopping out of the water like a bait fish trying like, to escape. Oh, it just got turned. It goes from prey to pre uh, from predator to prey in a heartbeat. And it's just really weird to see those like one after another. So, I mean, what a lot of guides do is if they know a dolphin's in the area, and you can hear them, you know, with their blowholes and whatever around you, is they'll drive up to the cover you're fishing around in, in the trees and they'll let the fish go right next to it so they can go hide. But I would say... Peacock mortality is, you know, it's not because of fishermen, but it is because of fishermen and then dolphins. And that's what is, if, if anything is hurting the fishery down there, which, you know, they're, they're not lacking for fish at all. But if anything is hurting it, man, those, those dolphins, they're, they're all protected, but oof, 
Gotta be a pretty odd place to see a dolphin, too. How far from the ocean are you? About 700 miles. Wow. In Manaus, I saw pelicans and you see terns. I mapped it out, and that's like going from the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay to Missouri. Oh, my And then seeing pelicans, like linear distance. That's how far it is. And actually, Manaus, which is about, I don't know, like five, 600 miles from the coast, is at 111 feet above sea level. That's some flat land. But there's so much water, it just keeps moving. But it is, it's very wide, not as deep as you would think. I know in, in the Rio Negro, in low, in very, very low water years, uh, the boats can't get up the river because there's sandbars everywhere. So the the seasonality of it, for kind of some explanation on you know when the water gets low, winter, you know our winter, and you know in around Christmas time and pretty much from December through the end of February is their dry season. So that's when the water gets low, and they have a mini dry season in October and early November. Apparently, that's actually more consistent low water, even though it's a shorter little stint. So the water just keeps dropping during the dry season, and it gets to be a fishable level because the water level will fluctuate from 10 to 30 feet between the wet season and, and the dry season. So when the water gets up, everything, all the fish go into the trees, and you can't even access them. So you wait until um, low water, dry season, so then they're all drawn out, and um, they're kind of concentrated, and you can actually, you know, get to them, which is, you know, relatively similar to how the Mattapanai fishes, but on a, you know, but that's on a four times a day tide. Uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of the, the seasonality of it. So pretty much the lower the water is, the better, because the fish are going to be more concentrated. When we were there, it was about two or three feet higher than you would like it. Um, so, the, I mean, and you could hear fish crashing bait up in the trees, and you, you just couldn't get to them. Um, and it's really hard to imagine how amazing that fishery would be under ideal conditions. Because, I mean, we still caught plenty of fish. Between me and Pat, we caught 169 fish in six days of fishing, which is not a lot. We could have tripled that under ideal conditions, no questions asked. What was the gear you were using? Gears? Yeah, you said 10, 9, 10 weights. I had the reel. So reel reel doesn't really matter as much. I mean, it's it's kind of a line holder because the fish don't really run. Um, but yeah, so you're using nine and 10 weight setups. If I went back, I would bring two tens probably. I found the 10 just handled throwing big flies easier, but I mean, nine or 10 weight, you'll, you'll be fine. I was, I was using just straight 50 pound mono. You could tie knots in that (sighs) somehow. I did have a knot pull on my first day and I got real good at checking them after that. I would probably use 40. Again, if, if, if I go again. Is that for their strength or just all the stuff you got to pull them out of? Um, both. Jeez. Can't have one without the other. Um, but the problem with 50 is that you run the risk of breaking your fly line before your, uh, before your leader. And obviously, you'd rather break your leader. Because nope. if you lose a fly line, you ain't getting any, <laughs> any more down there. There's no fly shot. Nope. So I brought... Everything under the sun. I didn't find that I was lacking in anything. I did a lot, a lot, a lot of research um, prior to going. And actually, I talked to, shout out to Matt Miles, talked to him at the 
uh, Virginia Fly Fishing Festival. He's been down several times. I think he goes with Nomadic Waters. And he was a huge, huge help. Um, really gave me some really good good insight on that. But yeah, 9 and 10 weight. I used um, Scientific Anglers um, Clear Tip Intermediate. And the I, I brought two floating lines as well, but I used the Intermediate Sink pretty much the entire time. Uh, I never really felt a need for, for a floating line because you're casting up. It's pretty much like fishing any, you know, if you're working down a pond shoreline with, uh, you know, lay down trees and, you know, tree stumps and you, then you work it back out. And that's pretty much how it is. It's very Are you using trolling motors just going along. Yeah. There? I mean, it's, it's just like a bass boat with trolling motor and guy's got a little remote that he kind of meanders you around with. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're just covering as much water as you can. Um, I know with, in, in a conventional world, they're using uh, super high speed reels that are like, I know Pat had a couple that were 41 inches per crank, which is, and like one revolution is up, that's 40 some inches of line getting reeled in. But the nice thing about fly fishing is that you, you lay kind of just, it's a shooting head. So you lay down a cast, a short little pop cast in the direction you want it to go. Then you pick it up and shoot it. And you're fishing for about 10 hours a day for six, six and a half days straight. And if you're taking too many false casts, you're going to wear yourself out. So I got, I, I put about, you know, 50 hours of casting in, in a week. And man, I got, you get real good at shooting, shooting line into tiny little spots. You definitely weren't up late at night looking for stars. No, the problem of <laughs> what keeps you up is, is, no, it's the fish. You're, even if you don't catch any big, big fish, you'll catch about a dozen laying there in bed. You just sit there and think about the, the the tenacity with which those fish will strike a fly or strike a lure is unlike anything I've ever experienced. If they, I, I've told people this, if uh, the best way to put it is if they had arms, they would punch you in the mouth for fun. They're just the meanest freshwater fish I've ever encountered. And they pull like freshwater fish, but you're fishing out of a bass boat. So it's up close and personal. And there's really, there's really nothing like it. What was the biggest fish y'all pulled in? The biggest fish that Pat and I pulled in was my 15 pounder. The biggest one for our boat for the week was I think 17. Unfortunately, I, uh, you know, I say unfortunately, but I'm just happy I caught it. Uh, was yeah, I was throwing um, a conventional setup in the brief. I probably fish conventional. 10, 15% of the time. And we're working down this bank with a strong right shoulder wind. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to switch it up for a bit. I don't feel like contending with this for the time being. And we're working down a shoreline and looking for fry balls. So it's these, you know, peacock fry, little baby peacocks. And they, and peacocks are among some family of fish that keeps their baby babies in their mouth when there's danger. Brooders. Yeah. So, but they'll let them out so they can eat and stuff. And you'll see them kind of a little, about three feet wide, just a little nervous water. And when you see that, if you throw anything in there, it's going to get demolished. But you got to be in range and got to put it right on them. We're working down the shoreline and we kind of looked up and all of a sudden there's a fry ball 20 feet from the boat. So we just start casting in there. My second cast, I mean, the best way to describe it on top water is a nuclear toilet flush. 
It's it, it's a different sound when a big as, fish hits it. As the guys from Mad River Outfitters said, this is your this is your bucket list. Whatever you think is on your bucket list, it's the peacock bass yes. on Amazon. Yes. And, and Lou said it. bring as many rods because they will snap a ten weight. Yep. Like it's nothing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just don't it's hard for me to fathom that. I need to experience that. So hopefully I can get my taste in Miami. Yeah. How big is a 15-pounder? The one I caught was uh, just shy of 70 centimeters. You, you, you measure everything in centimeters. You got my daughter's ruler so here. That, so a foot is 30 centimeters. So that's like about 30 inches, a little shy of that. How long did you say it was? Uh, it was 70? 70 centimeters. And I think... Yeah, we. I have, I have a picture on my Instagram of that fish with the guy's hand on it. So that's like, that's the length of my leg. Yeah. Holy shnikes. Yeah. Ooh, beer. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, so you're catching those on. I'm going to grab my hoodie. Keep talking. So that's like, you know, it's just like fishing for, for largemouth in a pond or whatever. But it's like a basically like a giant saltwater fish but it's right in your face and they hate you and they want to destroy everything you love when you're throwing at the bait ball pattern doesn't matter nope what, if, what was the pattern if you are trying to match what they eat what are you throwing at them you're throwing about five to six inch streamers and again matt miles he has two uh youtube uh videos on on his page we'll link them and it's two very simple streamer patterns. One's an um, EP bay fish, and the other is kind of a natural one with reverse tide bucktail, some some big hackle, and a and a fish skull head. And anything bright, the the colors that work best for me were chartreuse and white, all chartreuse, chartreuse and orange, all orange, orange and white, all white was good. Really anything big, bright. I hear the orange thing with peacocks a lot. Yeah, so they, they eat their young. So, <laughs> yeah, so anything really bright that kind of looks like a cichlid or looks like a baby peacock is going to catch fish. And so the, the outfit that I went with um, is called Hooked on Adventures on a boat called the Amazon Lord. You can, uh, I think they're just Hooked on Adventures, at Hooked on Adventures on Instagram and at Amazon Lord on, on Instagram. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're not a fly fishing outfit. So I, I, I kind of had to make my own way with that. And the guys on board and the guide were kind of a little, a little nervous or just didn't really know what to make of me going down there, really just wanting to throw fly rods. But I showed my box of flies to the guide and said, which one should I use? And, you know, the loosely translated, you know, simple word language kind of opened and said, which, which one? And he pointed to a white one and a chartreuse and white one. I said, okay. How many of those did you have? I had... He picks the one you only have a couple of. <laughs> I tied several dozen. I would just sit there and just grind. Because I'm, 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 I'm not a production tire like you, so... It was I, a busy morning. Yeah. I'm going to try and repeat tomorrow. There you go. So, yeah. I mean, I had one of those um, yellow... Cliff box? Cliff boxes. I had the mini one. And I filled the entire thing with flies. Some that I tied, some that I didn't. Uh, my buddy um, Joe Perez, uh, he is at JSP Fit to Fly underscore between those words. He is a heck of a tire, and he tied me some changers, 
some uh, game changers, which unfortunately I didn't end up using much because they're just so heavy to cast and you're casting so much. It's not really sustainable. But he tied me a couple of jig flies with uh, Popovitz, uh, um, tungsten jiggy head and those were great for casting in open water and for trolling as well so we would troll too some um yeah pretty much anything bait fish colored or sized like in the four to six inch range keep it simple because you will lose flies and you will get broken off and more so they will get destroyed because peacock's mouths you know it's like it's like a bass regular bass bill blue so you're saying the flies will get a little bit destroyed? Yeah, the flies will get annihilated after a few fish, especially with the natural flies. You know, the materials just don't hold up as well. But I, I brought a fly tying kit with me too because I'm like, you know, I, I have room in my, in my luggage and I'm not going all this way to not have exactly what I need. So I, I did tie a, fly, a couple flies on the boat uh, when I was down there. Were people um, looking at you like, what? It, it was a pretty small group. We had several people cancel, so we all had our own rooms, which was awesome. So there were only four other people besides me. So they were, and one, one of which was a pretty accomplished fly tire, but he wasn't, he was kind of older, so he wasn't fly fishing much. Um, but they were kind of watching me go. They're like, did you really bring all this down? I'm like, you know I did. I, I, was, I was in it. I, only, I was ready three, for it. Three things to the keys. My tying kit, my Patagonia day pack, uh, duffel and that green orbis thing I showed you. Yep. And I plan on stopping and buying more time material. That's my problem. My <laughs> wife looked at my accounting for last year. She's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and and you're pretty good about buying kind of off the wall, like some right. medic stuff. Like, well, you know, if I'm going to get a deal on a thousand hooks, I'm going to get 3000 of them. There you go. Or if I get a deal on, every time we go to the grocery store, I sneak in a scrub yarn. <laughs> so I had, and that's something I'm telling her. You, 300 yards is going to last a while. I, I, I will say, I, I saw your fly tying room today, and it is, it's like a very messy fly shop. You have about everything you could ever want in there. Yes, messy is the key word. Yeah, finding, finding things would be, what would be the challenge, but you certainly have everything. Yeah. But, and you got some hackles? I did get some hackles. Nice. I got to tie a bunch of those up for, for my rookies this, yeah. this spring. I'm going to be out for some North Carolina rookies. So, Preparing for this trip, did you get any vaccines, take any malaria pills, dengue, yellow fever? Honestly, no flies. No. <laughs> I you know what fly is? Yeah. Okay. My brother and I used to watch those videos like, yo, look at that. Get pulled out somebody's head. Ugh. Ugh. But, you know, being down in Brazil specifically, you don't have to have any shots. You don't even have to have a visa. They just changed that this past summer. So it's a very, very easy place to travel to. Um, you know, there are, till, there are definitely plenty of bugs, but with the tannin stain, so the water isn't muddy. Amazon is muddy. The Rio Negro is black, hence Rio Negro, black water or black river. And you see that when you're coming in, you look down and you're like, man, that's a black river. Well, okay. I guess that makes sense. Um, but because of the tannins in the water, which gives it the black color, it's, you know, you can't really see down into it. It's clear, but you can't see through it. And... Does that give the fish that peacocky distinctive? I don't know what causes their colors. Okay, um, but I, all I know is when you is when you look at them in the water, like on a sandbar, they look just jet black. And then you get them up, and they're just like lit up like Mardi Gras. Okay, it's a Mardi Gras fish. And that yeah. water's dark. Water's you dark. You didn't go in the water, did you? I did get in the water. 
Looking back, probably not the best decision, but I'm very glad I did. On the first day, we came across this spot that had this island with these like palm tree looking things on it. And then it had these huge sand flats that were like a foot or two deep. And I told the guy, I'm like, can we get out and walk? And he was like, okay. Stingrays, electric eels. And I, I was jacked up. So I'm all about getting out, waiting out there, really getting in it. I didn't catch anything when I was what, out there. What was on your feet? Actually, what I had is these water shoes off of Amazon, and they have, like, vented soles. So if you walk in a puddle, a small puddle in the parking lot, then your whole shoe's getting wet. But they're vented, so they'll draw air through it. So that's what I wore the entire week, which was a really good shoe choice. But I was walking around out there, and I took, like, two steps, and I saw this freshwater stingray scuttle away. I'm like, yeah, I forgot everything wants to kill you everywhere yeah. on this entire river. So got out there and swam around. Um no candiru catfish? I, I asked the guide about that. As he, long as you're wearing clothes, you're fine. Yeah. It's the current. Once your pee is cut, the current is broken by your clothing, then they're not going to go up in it. Ah. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So, yeah, so we're kind of hanging around there. I swam around. That was really cool. Uh, and then we came, we drove back by the spot hour later, and there was about a nine-foot Cayman about 100 yards up from where I was swimming an hour prior. I'm like, all right. That was fun. Not getting in the water again. A little more active than the cold gators in Florida last week. Quite. And also, I talked to um, some guys on our trip, and one of them had been down, um, uh, Calvin. Uh, he's a rancher in Texas who's got the he's got the bug, peacocks. He's been – that was his ninth trip, and he kind of coordinates trips down there. And he's like, yeah, a couple of years ago, guy a week or two prior to us, her a couple weeks prior had um, – Stepped on a stingray when he was out waiting around. They had him somehow, they got on satellite phone, got him airlifted to Manaus. Then spent, he spent three weeks in the hospital in Manaus before they could even get him stable enough to fly him back to the U.S. I hope he had the travel insurance. I hope so, too. So, note to self, stingrays. So, after I saw that stingray, I was doing the stingray shuffle. Shuffle your feet along the old... I've been stung in the hand by one this big. Like the size of a... Big Mac bun top. I, it, it was like being stung by a 10 pound bee. I can't yeah. imagine being stung by a big one. Well, the one I saw was only about a foot across, but then when I, we, we waited on one other spot, it was, and, and the guide told me, it's like, you know, look for stingrays and you could see where they were, the little pancakes. And then you'd build a trail with, where they scuttled away. Go fly one. I didn't have any. No, you don't want to mess with that. No. That's how I got stung. I was unhooking it. (laughs) He didn't like it. Yeah, I would have just cut it off. But yeah, everything down there wants to kill you. It is the truth. And on our our first... uh, first Hold on. Oh, it's good. I'm going to plug this in. Maybe that'll make a difference. All right. Keep going. So on our first, first day when we got on the boat... So you, you fly in, into Bar- Barcelos, then you get on the boat, and then you, you drive up riverways, then you get about half a day of fishing in. And Paula, who was kind of our 
interpreter kind of coordinator who kind of helped us get through the airport and stuff. She's on the boat with us too. And she was talking to us before we went out that first afternoon, kind of giving us a pep talk and a rundown of like do's and don'ts in, in the Amazon and stuff like that. And she's like, you know, there's a lot of weird insects and bees out here and they will get around you, but you can't smack them because if, if you smack them, they will, they will sting you. So just kind of just stay calm and just gently brush them off and they'll go away. And we all kept to that, except on the last day when Pat had a bee fly up his shorts and he, he responded instinctively um, and smacked it. And, you know, it stung him. And for about five, 10 minutes, he's like, this might be it. I don't know. That's a bad way to go. <laughs> he's like, I, and there's nothing you can do. But he, he was fine. He just said it stung real bad. Oh, my goodness. But one guy, legit, you know, who knows if this is true? He sounded pretty, pretty legit about it, but he got stung in the, in the cojones when he was uh, moseyed into the jungle to relieve himself. Uh-huh. So hard, hard pass on that. Yikes. My goodness. So now that you're back, do you have a, a next massive bucket listy species besides the goldens? Um, the goldens are like the petite delicate. Are you going to go for another big brute fish? I want to go back down the, to the jungle and fish for Pyara. The, so the fangs? Yeah, with the fangs. Honestly, I'd be happy going back down to... They're not in Miami yet? No, they should be. That'd be awesome. But I would be happy to go down there and fish for peacocks again, man. I could, I could fish for those every year for the rest of my life and be perfectly happy. There's nothing like them. to set up an office in the house. Oh, man. I might have to. It's your boss. <laughs> that would be... I would be working remotely to the extreme for right. sure. It's on the same time... Well, same time zone? It's an, I think it's an hour back. No, it's an hour forward. It's it's an hour forward from, from East Coast time. Okay. You got to blame the old Pope from that for like 600 years ago. Yeah. He's the one that gave Brazil to the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. They didn't know it stuck that far out in the Atlantic. So he's just like, anything that's east of that, whatever. Yeah, east of the latitude. mountains. Of, there's a latitude. He's like, anything east of that, y'all can have. Hmm. Did not realize that that was the majority of all the land down there. It's a big country. It's a big country. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to people you know, since then, if you were from Brazil, a guy was making, oh, you would have loved this. This guy was uh, smoking Brazilian meats at this place in downtown Miami. Yes. He had an open, it was a big like rack and it had stuff hanging from it. Then it had, he had the open like wood chips, like it's just smoking it over a soup of hours, mm-hmm. like every meat you could have. And he was from Brazil and I was talking to him. It's like, oh yeah, I was in Manaus. He was like, looked at me like, why were you in Manaus? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of out there. It's not the Rio and the Sao Paulo that everybody kind of goes to just kind of out there. I don't know if I want to go to the touristy spots. I'd rather go to no. that. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that's our problem with Key West is we're going to, I want to do the t-shirt shops and seashells. Go to the Hemingway house. Well, worth, worth the trip. It's like 15 bucks a piece. Still okay. well worth it. Well, of course that's also a scene from, um, license to kill. Yep. So they revoke his licenses at the Hemingway house. Yeah. Hemingway house is very cool. Go to Robbie's and Isla Morada. Oh, yeah, it's on the list. Feed the tarpon. Um, aside from that, I I just want to go fish. But if yeah. I can catch a baby tarpon or whatever, I play on. I've got my uh, my black diamond headlamps all lined up, so yeah, I plan on going out at night. Yeah, put, put them to sleep. 
Like, here, you two drink some green NyQuil. <laughs> I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, the... Well, there are no seams in, in the Keys. Down that far. I remember Key Largo, I got eaten alive every night in my backyard. Yeah, the bugs and stuff get pretty bad. So I've got mesh, an Orbis mesh hat mask. You know, I don't remember them ever really being that bad. I mean, the, all the times that I've been down to the Keys have all been in, like, February and March. So it's never been, been that bad for me. I'm sure in the summer it's a whole lot worse. Anything I need to stop at on my way through Richmond area or... I don't think I'm passing through your area in Charlotte. No. <clears throat> South of the border still awesome? Yeah. That's, you know, there are things in my life that I wish would would be as consistent as South Border's marketing and appearance. I'm still mad. I had $18 and they had either butterfly knives or stilettos <laughs> for $25. And my brother wouldn't give me a $10 bill. I saw a $3,000 Chinese vase in there in the, in, in the they, they have it set up by, by country. It's like, who is buying a $3,000 Chinese vase at South? I would probably knock it over by accident. Oh, I was terrified. Once after that, I was like, I stayed four feet away from everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, south of the border, same as always. Um, if you get time to stop into Beaufort, South Carolina, it's not too far off the interstate. Okay. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Maybe we'll do that as our, our night. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I spent uh, four years in South Carolina, and I can definitely definitely say that uh, Beaufort's, Beaufort's my, my favorite place. What about the people that call it Beaufort? That's like, get out of town. That's Bo- so there's Beaufort, North Carolina, which is close to like Cape Lookout, Moorhead City. And right. I've spent a lot of time around that area too. For most of my, you know, growing up, I went to camp uh, in East North Carolina, I go to Camp Seagull. So I, the only one that I knew growing up was, was Beaufort, North Carolina. And then I was, I was like, oh man, now there's Beaufort, South Carolina. And I have to keep both of them straight. So whichever one I'm at, I tend to use the other one's pronunciation. So everyone gets mad at me. It's a good way to just ruffle some feathers. Oh, yeah. Right on. Any place I should eat it from Beaufort? I think my wife, no. Finds a barbecue. Yes, my wife do barbecue. She's going to be all seafooded out. Yeah. She's eating fish tacos in San Diego for lunch today. I love fish tacos. My favorite. We're going to do snakehead tacos, but cook them on the Traeger. So it's been... Two years since we got a sneak kid, so I should probably get one next year. Yeah. I'll get one every three years. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm yet to catch a snakehead. Drink? I'm good. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm yet to catch a snakehead, but um, I imagine that would be a pretty cool cool one on, on the fly ride for sure. It's all well planned. Yeah. Anything about Brazil we forgot to go over? Um, People, so... Well, uh, yeah, one last thing about Brazil. If you know Spanish... It won't get you very far because <laughs> there's big Portuguese and I'm, I'm pretty decent at Spanish. I can probably dig some up. It, if you know Spanish, it makes learning Portuguese easier, but Portuguese is just drunk Spanish. If you, if you kind of slur your Spanish words and that's, it kind of comes out as Portuguese. Okay. People need to send you some spots in Charlotte to fish. Yeah. I mean, Charlotte's kind of the gateway to Western North Carolina and I spend a lot of time out there. Yeah, if anybody's in Charlotte, hit me up. I'm always looking for new people to fish with. I, I have a paddleboard, and, um, of course, running a paddleboard shuttle by yourself is uh, challenging. Right. So if anybody wants to come out kayak. Um, and of course, uh, being down in Columbia, I fished the Striper Run down there in Columbia, the Landlock Striper Run. 
Um, love, love, love that. I want to do more of that um, this year in addition to trout fishing. So if anyone's down there and wants to go striper fishing or whatever, let me know. Will you bring the breadcrumbs? <laughs> the, the thing to eat. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Also, birds, you, you got pheasants on your socks. I do. I am. I have a lot of fun socks. Honestly, like my workplace is pretty casual, so I, I don't wear dress socks as much as I probably should. But uh, yeah, I got... I got fish on some other socks. I got, I don't know. It seems like a go-to Christmas and birthday gift. Yes. And, and, and they've piled up. In college, I would match my Argyle socks to the polo I was wearing that day. <laughs> the Argyle socks, they don't really stay up well. That was my problem with them. Hmm. I don't think I have any Argyles, but I got a whole bunch of weird stuff. I have a Tapatio socks uh, that, have, that have the hot sauce like, right. with one side. I got, I have multiple pairs of brick trout socks. Next one, find a cool pair of socks. I'll get them for you. I think my neighbors bought me. No, please, please don't get me any more socks. I have so many socks. <laughs> well, at least you know you're matching them, right? Like, I don't even know if these two are the right. I mean, I've got 10 pairs or whatever now of these gray old Orbis socks. Uh, you're, you're a fly fishing guy, though. Oh, yeah. You, you can get away Maybe with flip that. flip-flops anyway, probably next week. I should have worn flip-flops today when I picked up my kid at school. Mm. It's hot as it was. Oh, speaking of apparel. So I know you've always talked about, and I never really fully believed in it, about how you'd rather wear long sleeves when it's hot to keep the sun off of you. Yep. And I've always thought that was very uncomfortable. However, the sun, you're basically on the equator on the Rio Negro. So I wore shorts and then I wore a long like zip off pants, like quick dry, quick dry everything, no cotton. Dude, and these are the best. These are the greatest. Did I send you the link to Yeah, these? yeah, yeah, you did. Oh my God. Yeah, so zip off pants. You know, long sleeve shirts, uh, Columbia PFGs. I wore this big, goofy, wide brim hat with a big flap on the back, whole nine yards. That was the way to go. You want to keep the sun off of you. And anything you have that is exposed, you want to put sunscreen on. But, but you don't really need bug spray. Just uh, cover up, lather up. Because if you get burned on your first day, you're going to be miserable. Yeah, I just bought three Patagonia hoodies for Florida. Because I don't imagine we're going to have anywhere to wash them. Yeah. They're, they're as light. I mean, they're as thin as a buff. Yeah. I can't wait to wear those. And then I'll wear these. I actually need a pair of 32, like 25 length pants, like 32 waist. But see, when I go wet waiting, this always gets heavy and then drags underneath. I need a pair of like, like capris. And I'm wearing um, dude leggings underneath as my base nice. layer. I've I need a pair of pants. Then when they get wet, then they'll come down to like 32. <laughs> I've been meaning to invest in a pair of... Uh dude leggings for various outdoor oh, ventures they're great man i'm still allowed to wear them as is in the house yeah that's probably for every, in, in everyone's best interest yeah. but they're, I, I sleep in them usually because they kind of just hold my knees and yeah. ankles together yep um anything else we didn't cover i'm trying to think well i mean if if nothing else if you if you have any inkling of going to brazil fishing for peacock bass do it if it's on your bucket list, put it on there and move it to the top as your next bucket list trip. Yeah, you you won't you won't regret it. Um, I'm just glad that it hasn't ruined me for all the other. I, I was legitimately concerned. Like when I got back from the trip, I was still riding, kind of riding the high. It's like, man, am I not going to enjoy trout fishing anymore? You're going to have to go somewhere cold. You're going to come steelheading with us in November. You know, when the gods start icing up, that's when I was. That's that. That's my cutoff. I'll, I'll, I'd go up in October for the brown 
Robert. When my Robert reel King. just had ice on everything, it's like I couldn't like turn my drag, and that was just from setting it down on the snow once or twice. Yeah, I just have. We all burnt holes in our clothes with the campfire. The campfire, great idea. <laughs> Jason burnt a hole in his waders, and my mitts have six spark holes in them. Yeah, I just have no desire to suffer like that for fish. I I do a lot of uh, well when when I'm home in Richmond, I do a lot of uh, duck and goose hunting. So I spend plenty of time in the cold. It's just not fishing, and I could have everything covered up and not be wet. There's a bakery down there my wife's obsessed with. Just got a Michelin star, I think. In Richmond. Richmond. We're stopping on the way to the Keys and apparently on the way back from the Keys. Sub Rosa? Yes. Yeah, that place is good. She's talking about bringing bread back from California. What's your timing on going down there? Because I could recommend a couple spots. Oh, we're leaving at like one in the afternoon. Okay. I think. I don't know. From from here? Yeah, no, we're not like going to eat. Like we would just grab a loaf and get yeah. back in. Yeah. If she can do that, then I can run into Green Top and get some ostrich plumes. Yeah. I would stop into Pops on Grace and get the um, sausage, egg, and cheese bagel on, mm. on an everything bagel. Oh, it's the, that's, that's the only kind of bagel there is. Yeah. There's. Um, but we're driving to Savannah. So we're going to be like. Okay. Driving fast. Yeah. Because we got ladies with small bladders. <laughs> Yeah, if you stop in Richmond, that I I judge every breakfast quick breakfast place that I go to with by their by that meal. That's pretty much what I get everywhere. So would that be the best breakfast sandwich in Richmond? Easily. All right, there's the best sandwich. Then we can answer that question. I I, I've been thinking about your questions. (laughs) I've listened to enough of your podcasts where I knew these were coming. Let's see if I can throw you off. Thinking about them. No, I've been preparing. All right, what's so my favorite Indiana Jones movie? (laughs) We stopped doing that. (laughs) I know. What is something you haven't yet bought in your fly fishing gear wish list? What's something that you're just like, man, I, I want that thing so bad. Hmm. I'm still riding my first cheap pair of waders that are just like not very user friendly. Um, I don't know, kind of amassed an arsenal of fly rods in the last couple of years. Keep finding stuff on sale and buying it. Gotta have them. Hmm. Not sure. Amazonian uh, mothership. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take one of those. All right. Yeah, and 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 a boat probably. I mean, I grew up around boats, but I just haven't. I, I do most of my you know most of my fishing is trout fishing, so I don't really have any need for it. Do you have an irrational phobia? Um, I'd say uh, dream that pops up about once a year is uh, surrounded by wolves. I don't know. That's that's probably it. As guilty as you are, when is it okay to pause, pose with a rod on your shoulder? If you don't want to munch on your cork. What about armpit? Armpit, but it just looks so legit, man. You can be a famous Insta bro. No. <laughs> bro staffs. Bro staffs. Uh, if you had your own personal groundhog day or every day you woke up and you're fishing the same spot, where would that be? Rio Negro. All day. If you only had one type of soup to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, this is new. I've not thought about this one. <laughs> um, oh, man. White bean chili. Chicken or turkey. Strangest thing you found while fishing? That I found? A friend caught, caught a Ziploc bag of poop in the Congaree River in Columbia. A Ziploc bag? A Ziploc bag. That probably wasn't dog poop, then. 
we don't know. We just I was, he was like, what is this? I'm like, it's probably poop. I'm like, okay. Was it someone's like Snickers bars? That would that's With corn in there. That's a little too hopeful. Okay. <laughs> Man, what else have I caught? I don't know. I've, I've caught a bike or two. Any location or species that just has no interest for you? I I would say in relation to how jazzed up people are about them and how much it gets talked about in the fly fishing community, my interest level in going steelheading doesn't match up. I'm sure it would be Summer awesome. Summer steelhead? Yeah. can put you on them in shorts and a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it really just like rainbow trout or or just any variation of rainbow trout, just for whatever reason, doesn't like jazz me up. It works for me. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if I did it, I, I would love it, but it's just not one of those things. Just in contrast to how people, how, how much people are like going crazy over. I mean, you go up every year. I dig it. What's your favorite holiday? Holiday. Hmm. I would say Memorial Day because I think it goes underrated as a meaningful holiday and it's the beginning of summer and it's just kind of the beginning of you I mean everything's fishing wise is great just kind of the kickoff to everything yeah. everything that i love doing never had it was always fishing three-day weekend for me growing up yep and then we had a very close relative die in the military changes the meaning of the holiday and then a year later our kids born on that weekend and we had the kid because it was kind of a memory of the cousin we lost. Mm -hmm. So Memorial Day now it's, it's the pool opening, which is huge. It's the kid's birthday and we remember our cousin. Somber, but still have fun. Yeah. Good that's one. right. All right. What's a fly fishing hack that you learned that it's worth sharing? Anything in the fly fishing that someone showed or taught you? Something you showed me. Most people know it, I think, but roll casting off snagged lures. And yeah. Flies, flies, not lures, flies. Um, yeah. You. So when I took that trip with you three years ago, you're like, yeah, roll cast it off of there. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I used that probably once an hour when I was nice. in, in, uh, in, in Brazil. So if you get hung up, you just try to work on the roll cast that nobody practices enough right. and roll, roll cast it off of there. Uh, last question. I'm going to guess after tonight that you put mustard on your hot dogs. Uh, yeah. And I actually like putting mayo and sriracha as well too. All right. Yeah. So what's that story that you had to be there to believe? Um, we hit a gator and we fixed them, fixed the boat motor with a woolly bugger in Wait, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it wasn't a gator. It was Cayman. Cayman. Same thing. So we were taken off from a spot and we hit this little, as we're getting up on plane, we, we hit this little bump and I didn't really think anything of it, but the guy back down to idle and he looks at us and goes, alligator. We're like, okay. He's like the motor. We're like, oh, we, we just whacked a gator with the motor when we were taking off. Like, all right. So he goes to take off and the motor revs and then he goes, ah, ooh, and it goes back to idle, but it, it doesn't cut off. So we're like, all right, that's really weird. It's kept doing that. And meanwhile, it's it's pouring down rain and blowing wind. Big storm had come through that that day. It wasn't thunderstorms. Miserable out there in the middle of the middle of nowhere. And and he keeps doing that. It keeps revving up. So we can go like three miles an hour. 
and we know that the mothership is way off in the distance. And so he eventually takes a motor cover off and the, so the throttle cable connects like this throttle mechanism on the motor with, with like a cotter pin or whatever. And that's how it just kind of connects there. And when we hit the gator, it either popped out or sheared off or something. Either way, it was gone. So the cable wasn't connected to the throttle mechanism on the motor. And so we would go and then it would back down to idle because it couldn't stay up there. And we, so we were stuck going nowhere fast in the pouring rain. And so the guy's like, I have no idea what to do. I'm like, well, I have a box of, you know, smaller flies that I brought with me as well. It's like, well, I could probably stick that in the hole. So I grabbed, I grabbed a Tommy Mattiola shad dart with, with, with a little weight and then a woolly bugger that I had tied at some point that I just brought with me. And I stuck the hook points in there, which served as the pin and it held it together. And we ran on plane the rest of the day through driving rain. One of the most miserable days of riding in a boat I've ever had, to be perfectly honest. But it would have been uh, 10 times more miserable and it would have ruined our entire day if we hadn't been able to go. So uh, what happened to the Cayman? Oh, he was fine. If, if, if an animal is big enough to grow, it is old enough to grow as big as he was in that environment where everything wants to kill you. He was fine. Damn. All right. Scott underscore key. Scott underscore key underscore on Instagram. All right. And you're going after Peruvian chicken tomorrow. Yeah. I would, I would get the half chicken, half chicken, black beans, and then fried yuca. Fried yuca is good. Yeah. And then they're only going to give you little containers, little jalapeno, little, mayo mustard yeah the like mild yellow like light yellow stuff yeah, nobody knows what's in it no you can't buy it commercially it's best not to ask it's it's more fun as a mystery yeah all right dude well thanks for coming out how was your first triggered steak oh dude i need more triggered steaks three hours at 220 it's a long time but it's worth every second and that probably used maybe two cups of fuel wow to cook that versus if i was gonna use charcoal yeah that would be a whole bag of charcoal yeah Right on, dude. All right. Let's get you on your way. You got the night off? I'll be hopping on my laptop later. I got to put the little one to sleep. It's past her bedtime. All right, dude. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. 
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.